Joining me on the podcast tonight, the great Earl Skakel. And normally when I say the great Earl, it's a bit of a mockery, but in your case, added advantage of being true, talking about one of my favorite TV shows, The Great White Shadow. Uh, if you don't know Earl, you should. Regular at the Comedy Store. He's on the Jellies. He's uh, on the, uh, the the Roast Battle. He did a Showtime series a couple years ago called I'm Dying Up Here. And of course... The Inappropriate Earl podcast, one of my favorite listens among podcasts. And I already told you, your Tommy Morris episode may – I mean, I don't know what awards they give for podcasts, but you should submit that because it will win all kinds of awards if the right people listen to it. Uh, well, thank you for that nice intro. And uh, I, I think uh, even if you're not a comic, uh, I think that episode with Tommy, the first one, should be required listening to any comic. Uh and not because of anything I did. It, it's really, I think I said 10 words in two hours. Uh, but uh, comedy fans, I think, would benefit going, okay, these are the type of people comics have to deal with. Yeah. Tommy, for many years at the Comedy Store. So uh, we, we know about that and the history of it. Um, but getting a little bit more into your background, Earl. So you're you're an LA guy. You grew up in you grew up in Los Angeles. You went to Sherman Oaks High. So the show we're talking about, The White Shadow, probably hits a little closer to home for you because it was about a high school basketball team in the city of Los Angeles. Now, did you play high school ball by any chance? I did. Well, here's the weird thing uh, is, and I never knew this till after I graduated, and I didn't put two and two together. Is all the exterior scenes of the white shadow were filmed at my high school oh wow um, yeah notre dame high in sherman oaks um i don't know where the gym uh was it wasn't at notre dame but anytime you saw the the team uh, playing outdoors on the courts uh or walking around in, into their classroom it was at notre dame high so uh i always uh, laugh when i see coolidge or whoever uh walk into a classroom that I was actually in at one point. Um, but but I played, uh, um, to answer your original question, I'm sorry, I'm long-winded. Uh, I was blackballed off the basketball team at Notre Dame because I wouldn't play football. Uh, I've been the same size since fourth grade. I, I'm, <laughs> at, at literally at one point, they thought they were going to have to take my thyroid out because – in the fourth grade, I was 6'1 or 6'2. Uh -huh. I wasn't quite as muscular as I am now, but I was a big kid. So I get to Notre Dame, and uh, although I wasn't the biggest kid in school anymore, I was still like I could have played varsity football. Uh, it was big enough. So Coach and, Rudy was all over you, huh? Oh, he loved me. Uh, he's like, We're going to make a star out of you, kid. And because uh, even in PE, uh, the freshman year, I was dominating. <laughs> Because I was just big. Uh, but my mom wouldn't sign this, the uh, insurance, uh, not certificate, but the form. Uh, because at the bottom of it said Notre Dame High is not responsible in case of death. And she's like, you're not playing football. And uh, I said, well, I'll just play basketball. And uh, I tried out, and I was definitely good enough to make it. Uh, and the coach basically said, we want you playing football. You play football, you'll play basketball. I'm like, all right, well, where are the golf tryouts? There you go. Um, that's, a, that's always an interesting dynamic. The high school dynamic is always interesting how incestuous it is sometimes and how political it can be. Um, not with Coach Reeves, though. Not with Coach Ken Reeves. So um, the white shot, it's interesting that we're doing this now because I don't know if you've been watching the last dance thing on ESPN about the Chicago Bulls. Um, uh, Jordan talks about the Bulls when he joined the Bulls in 84, how they hadn't been very good. And obviously, Ken Reeves is a fictional Chicago Bull. That's the opening sequence we see. He's going up for a layup and he creams his knee and his, his career's over with the Bulls. But now he gets to coach at Carver High School. So that's kind of an interesting connection because in the Jordan documentary, they talk about how he shows up and – all the bulls are like doing coke and weed, and they obviously he 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 wasn't involved with that. Um, the seventies in the NBA were, were were really a wild time because you read all these stories about how the league was kind of on the precipice 
of insolvency when Bird and Magic showed up and kind of the, the, the drug culture in the 70s kind of predated what, you know, in the 80s, everybody kind of uh, accepts that, okay, that was kind of the decade of cocaine, but obviously it reached the NBA a little bit sooner than it did modern society. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, my next door neighbor growing up was Kareem. So, uh, you know, it was surreal to me as a, you know, 10 year old to see, you know, I grew up in Bel Air. Uh, mm-hmm. That's it's an interesting. My dad, I have to say this part. My dad bought a home in Bel Air in the early 60s. Uh, and uh, we weren't rich at all. Uh, but there was a Bel Air fire in the mid sixties that burned every home down, but ours. So it was like getting in on the, a tech stock being first in, uh, and then Bel Air grew up to be, you know, our neighbors at one point were James Kahn, Kareem, uh, Will Chamberlain, uh, all these, you know, uh, the drummer from the straight cats, uh, Rod Stewart, Elvis, uh, and so to see Kareem jog in the neighborhood in just dolphin shorts and uh, his goggles were uh, it's a it's a memory I'll never ever forget. Um, <laughs> yeah, as well you as so, well you should. Well, and I, you know I I was a fan of uh, the Lakers since I was a little kid, and you know half the team was white, uh, you know, which is crazy to me. Like you know you had uh, Don Ford and. Uh, Mark Abernathy, or, or Tom Abernathy, I'm sorry, uh, Mark Landsberger. Uh, so it was definitely, and I think people forget, like, uh, the NBA was on tape delay. The finals were on tape delay on, like, Friday nights. Right, uh, right. That's right. That's I remember, yeah. that It was funny because you, you bring up Don Ford, so – I know Don Ford a little bit because he's a Santa Barbara guy and he used to do the radio for UC Santa Barbara. But my fr- I had a friend who played, who's a pretty good player at UC Santa Barbara who grew up in LA. He played at Santa Monica High and he told me when he was a kid in the early 80s, his favorite Laker was Don Ford. And I'm like, come on, man. You can't, you can't, you can't. But he's like, no, you know, it was Magic and Bert and, uh, and Kareem. And then it was everybody else. It was before Worthy came, it was before Byron Scott. I guess Norm Nixon was on the team at the time. And it was just a different makeup uh, of the NBA to the Lakers, you know, from the mid to late 80s that I remember, you know, playing the Celtics. It was a very different makeup from the team uh, when Magic got there, which would, would line up with what, what, you're, what you're saying about that, about that early Laker team, uh, the early 80s Laker team. Well, the weird thing is my favorite player as a kid wasn't a Laker, but it was the uh, Washington Bullets center, Wes Unseld, uh, because he was uh, – he wasn't a big center. He was only about six, 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 seven, maybe. But he held his own against, you know, Kareem and all these other players who were bigger than he was. Uh, so uh, it was a great time to be a basketball fan in the 70s and uh, early 80s because it wasn't. So, I mean, obviously they're good athletes, but back then it was, uh, you know, they didn't look like good athletes. <laughs> you know, like they just. You know, outside of like maybe Lonnie Shelton and Orlando Warwich, no one had any muscle tone. They just right. like bigger versions of guys you'd play pickup with. It's definitely changed. It's absolutely definitely changed uh, in terms of what the NBA is now as compared to what it was then. But all right, let's get to Ken Reeves. So Ken Howard plays the title role of the White Shadow. He's a white player. He's from supposedly from New York, and then played college basketball at Boston College. And now he is coaching at Carver High School. Uh, do you have any idea? So what was the high school that Carver was based on, in your estimation? I mean, you know, obviously it was a school that was, I guess, kind of considered in the ghetto. Uh, I would guess uh, modern day, uh, Crenshaw, uh, maybe Englewood, uh uh, high, which is uh, right by the forum. Um, but, you know, I've always laughed at a school in the ghetto had a Jewish guy on the team, <laughs> a Hispanic guy, <laughs> and, you know, a Mexican or uh, an Italian guy. Uh, you know, like, this is not really a school in the ghetto. No Jewish guy would be on a school in the ghetto. 
No love for Goldstein. Huh? So let's 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 jump into it. So uh, now I, I'm a little so I'm a little frustrated because used to be able to get the show on Hulu, right? Right. And, and um, it's not on Hulu anymore. Uh, it's nowhere to be found. You can't really stream it anywhere. And like Bill Simmons is a big fan. Bill Simmons of the Ringer is a huge fan of the show. And I'm like, dude, you got to deal with HBO. Let's get the White Shadow reruns on HBO uh, because even when they reran it on some local station that on Hulu, there's some episodes missing. I think that's largely for music licensing, but I'm sure HBO's got the dough where they could put up the money for the various music licensing. I, I, I'm embarrassed to say it's like, I think part of the reason they can't give all the episodes Earl is that is the shower of power sing some songs where the royalties are due to people. Well, it's funny you mentioned the shower of power because I do a lot of comedy shows with the one and only Frazier Smith, who was... Mm -hmm. That's right. He, he was the DJ that uh, they broke into this uh, <laughs> radio station. Um, and the very first time I got to play the Hollywood Improv, uh, Frazier brought me up, and I, I didn't know him. And I instantly knew who he was. And so I, I take the mic, and, you know, Frazier's a legendary uh, radio personality in L.A., and uh, I'm probably the only guy to give him love in public by going, hey, give it up for the DJ from the White Shadow. And he yeah. turned around and looked at me and was like, wow, this guy is insane to know that credit. So it's interesting you bring that up because there's other comedy connections to the White Shadow. For example, Michael Winslow, who we all know as the sound effects guy from Policing, academy is a guest star i think one of the early i think it was season one he plays a disturbed student whose aspiration is to go on the tonight show and i know you do, you do a lot of jokes about you know about comics and whatnot but he's you know he he's he's a guy who's kind of trying to work out some issues he has but his ultimate goal is to be on the tonight show yeah i mean it's uh it's a shame it's not on tv uh in some capacity, uh, because it, it's, it's so, it was such a groundbreaking show uh, that you never really hear uh, the credit that, you know, was, people forget that, you know, when it was on the air, I think from 78 to 81, or maybe it was 79 to 82, uh, you know, there was no uh, FX, there was no... Uh, channel that you could really air this type of material on so the fact that they were talking about uh abortion and uh drugs and, and uh you know what i mean one of my favorite episodes is when Peter horton uh and i've talked to him and at a party once it was his first role was his uh role he was playing the gay uh the closeted oh. gay student and just one uh, just one of the guys right just one of the guys yeah. the title yeah, but to, uh, to do that type of material about a closeted a gay high school basketball player on CBS on a Monday night prime time, like I don't think people appreciate how innovative that show was. By today's standards, it would probably be boring, uh, but in '79 to to have that show on primetime television it was un it was like a i always like to say the white shadow is almost like an ensemble all in the family with, with how all in the family broke ground um it yeah it very definitely did so w we go into ken reeves so he, he plays uh, the head coach was played by ken howard bruce paltrow was the executive uh, producer of the show and he went on to do a lot of stuff in television saying elsewhere was the next big one but i think this is his first really big series that he did and so this character who's an ex-basketball player he's coaching at a high school in, in south la and he's you know the white shadow quote unquote um jim willis is the principal and then sybil buchanan is the vice principal played by joan pringle she later becomes a principal so the first little quirk of the show is that Jason Bernard plays the principal in the pilot, and then when the show gets picked up, it's his brother Ed Bernard plays the same role. So it's kind of like the Darren from Bewitched, except Jason Bernard just in the one episode. Um, so it's, so the, the principal is his best friend from college, and he played at Boston College, and now he's coaching this team. And the 
pilot is, I think, is, is a great, and you can actually, uh, I don't want to get anybody in trouble, but it's illegally bootlegged on YouTube, so you can actually go and find the pilot on YouTube. But um, it's real interesting how they put it all together because the story comes together fairly quickly, and there's some nice little jokes in the early going, and it's a great young ensemble, as you mentioned, a young ensemble of actors and guys who played these these players some of them have gone on to fairly distinguished careers like we were talking about before we started recording. Oh, yeah. I mean, you have Kevin Hooks, who was Thorpe. I mean, he's one of the biggest directors of uh, episodic uh, TV shows. I mean, he, his, he's got a laundry list of shows from Prison Break to, uh, I think, Detroit 187 to many, many shows. Uh, and Salami, <laughs> Timothy Van Patten, I think, directed most episodes of The Sopranos and Boardwalk Empire. And uh, Thomas Carter went on and is still uh, directing. And, uh, you know, Coolidge worked a fair amount. Uh, you know, he's on St. Elsewhere. And uh, uh, Goldstein, Ken Michaelman, uh, you know, was a pretty good uh, commercial actor. And, uh, and Reese, uh, you know, who passed away uh, from, I think, diabetes. Uh, he was uh, worked a fair amount, so it was like an amazing uh, child cast almost. Of uh, and if you get into later, ser- you know, season three, you know, Stony Jackson uh, certainly worked a lot, uh, and uh, you know, Battaglia, uh, you know, Salami's cousin, uh, you know, was in a lot of things. So it was uh, a really super talented cast and. Uh, what, what I loved it, and it was it was weird because there weren't a lot of shows. I mean, I guess there were shows about high school, but in this show, like I think I don't know. I think it was one of the things that made it authentic, and also might have hurt it with regard to ratings because uh, Ken Howard, Ken Reeves was the star, so the the players they kind of cycled in and out, you know. So they had, I guess. Um, Byron Stewart, who played Coolidge, Timothy Van Patten, you remember, played Salami, and Kevin Hooks, who played Thorpe. They were there all three seasons of the show, but the the first after the first two seasons, they cycled a lot of guys out of the show. And maybe that's why the ratings dropped. Also, I'd read that it was always they, – they, the, they moved the time slot a lot because on against some pretty strong uh, shows on other networks. And CBS never really knew what to do with the show. Well, I mean, season three is definitely my least favorite just because so many of the uh, the cast left, I think, half the cast. But, you know, it makes sense. You know, it's high school. They can't be there for seven years. <laughs> uh, and, you know, it, it, I think a show about uh, high school is, you know, there's only so many storylines. Uh, you know, it, it's like I Love Miami Vice, another show from the 80s and, and about – midway through season three, you're kind of going, okay, how many Colombian drug dealers can you really right, you know, have? Right, right, right. Uh, you see it happen a lot with cop shows where it's, you know, usually about season three, it's like, all right, how many, you know, 24, same thing, all right, how many uh, Middle Eastern terrorists is Jack Bauer going to go up against? Uh, so I understand looking back now, uh, but, you know, that first cast was just so good. And they had such great chemistry. Um, and, and, you know, probably my favorite episode of any sitcom or drama slash sitcom is the, is the Country Club episode um, where uh, Salami. That, that was that, and that was season three, right? Wasn't that season three? I, I, or maybe that I think it was season, season two. two. Season two. Um, it's but it was Lynx. just. Links. Yeah. And it's, I, I want to say it's episode 18. Uh, which is another thing I loved about the show is uh, like on I'm dying up here. That was 10, 10 episode seasons. Uh, I think the white shadow, something like 22 uh, or 23 episode seasons. Like you got a lot of bang for your buck. Yeah. I think in the first year, the first year went 15 and the second they went, I think 20, it was 22 or the second season went 24 actually. And then season three, when they got canceled, they shot 21. So it was like, 60 60 or 59 or 60 complete episodes um and i remember the links the episode that you talk about because there's some great scenes that obviously robert alda kind of plays bob beardsley who's kind of this you know upper crusty kind of bigoted guy who doesn't see himself as bigoted but to me the great the great storyline there was he 
Coach has to go on a double date with Salami. And they have to go in Salami's car. They go to the drive-in and hilarity ensues. Yeah, no, I mean, Salami played a great dopey, almost like this Stallone type of, ugh, character. And, uh, you know, obviously in real life, he's a brilliant uh, mind with his directing, but uh, he was the perfect guy to play that character. And uh, But that episode was, because I grew up on a country club, uh, and it really uh, is, the, I think, probably even to this day, country clubs are the last bastion of racism, you know, like, <laughs> Yeah. Very few minorities uh, are allowed in country clubs, and they almost have to. Like I know in LA, you you have uh, LA Country Club, which is uh, on Wilshire, and it, it's uh, let's just say it's a pretty white country club. Uh, same thing with Bel Air, although I think they've probably have more minorities than than most country clubs. Where you you had to have uh, Hillcrest Country Club, which I think is basically exclusively Jewish. So, uh, you know, each almost religion or race gets their own country club. So that episode meant, because I knew every character in that episode, I, I knew in real life, you know, there were so many guys who were that racist and, you know, uh, you know, they was like, wow, I know that's Mr. Smith, the, my dad's buddy. Uh, <laughs> and, uh. So I think that's why it means a little more to me than other episodes, just because it was like watching a documentary of mostly my dad's friends. Uh, the first season, they really are just trying to get their footing, because I think the second season they'd figured out what they wanted to do, because uh, it, it was kind of in sequence, and you know the team, the team stuff, and the the like the the team drama stuff, they balance it fairly well. The first season, they're just trying to figure some things out. And it's funny how the second year, they kind of knew what the characters were. And season one, they're kind of still figuring some things out. For example, I think it was episode two or three, what, where they find out Curtis Jackson, uh, played by Eric Kilpatrick, is an alcoholic. And, and I think in the first season, they say he his parents are separated. It's just his dad. He's got a sister. But then we learn later they also have a brother. I think it's just an inconsistency. Um, uh, one of my favorite episodes from season one is the one with um, when Gomez, played by Ira Augustine, who is now a uh, in South Orange County. He is a pastor in South Orange County, very active on the social media. He joins his old gang, the Aztecs, Los Aztecas. He goes back and joins the Aztecs. And uh, it's an interesting situation because th- his mom comes – and his mom and her neighbor come to Coach Reeves to try to help him get out of it. And he goes to meet with the, the police. And the police captain is played by James Victor, who recently passed away. Very accomplished character actor who's been in a lot of stuff. Um, and they have a funny conversation because he remembers who Ken Reeves is. Hey, didn't you play in the NBA? And we find out the only reason he knows who Ken Reeves is is he'd made a bet on the Bulls. And Ken Reeves missed some free throws and cost him some money. Yeah, no, I mean... That was another thing I liked about the uh, show was the guest stars. Uh, you know, it was very much, you know, I mentioned Miami Vice a little earlier. They had some great uh, guest stars, but, uh, you know, so many like Michael Warren playing, uh, you know, the, in the episode he was in, he was awesome. I, I think that was probably right before Hill Street Blues uh, and uh, Peter Horton, you know, uh, you know, has gone on to, he, He's a big director now. Uh, yeah. So, uh, and there's many other, uh, you know, the guy, I, I don't know the actor's name, but uh, he played Mac Wade, who couldn't read. Yeah. Um, he, he, his dad, Jerry Harden, was, uh, is one of the top uh, character actors of probably the last 50 years. Uh, I, I feel bad for him because he's that typical character actor where you go, I, I've seen this guy in 50 things. I don't know his name. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and the acting was really, uh, I still cry to this day when they, uh, that episode where they had the special needs kid who, uh, Thomas. To... shoot the ball to Thomas. Yeah. That, I mean, very few things, uh, make me cry. If that episode was on TV right now and that end shot where they give him the ball to shoot it, like, <laughs> I mean, that's just good television. Yeah, but here's the interesting thing is now, you know, 
because I cover high school sports in particular, now you get situations where, you know, they actually will let, you know, the kids with autism and whatnot play in those games. A high school football coach I covered, Derek DeWitt, who's down in he's – a, he's a Pomona guy. He coaches out in Riverside now. But when he was a high school coach in Ohio, he won an ESPY because the opposing team had a special needs kid. They wanted to get him on the field, right? And they were up. His team was winning. Like, it was like 42-7. to seven. So he tells the other coach, like, hey, it's not enough to get him on the field. We're going to get him a touchdown. Like we're winning the game by a lot. We're going to kick the ball off to him, and he's going to run it. He's going to run it back, you know? Um, and so obviously the white shadow is very similar. Kenny Lester, you mentioned the, the, uh, the guest stars, Kitty Lester, who had a pretty good career as a character actress. She was on little house in the prairie. I think she had her own show for a little bit. She plays the mom on that episode and, uh, yeah, they, they mainstream him. And one of the funniest parts of that episode is they make a mascot for, for Carver high school. I'm wearing the shirt. Carver high school is the high, is fictional high school where they play. And the, the, the mascot is a peanut. You know, George Washington Carver invented all these ways to use the peanut, and he puts the peanut costume on, and he's kind of running around the court. Um, and obviously, they they rein him in, and then he, he ends up getting to shoot the ball. That is a kind of a that, that touches the heartstrings a little bit. You mentioned guest stars. One of the things I loved about the White Shadow is it was on the same time as What's Happening, like in chronologically, right? I think What's Happening started a year before The White Shadow. So there was crossover with some of the actors. You know, and I guess it's the way it is around town now, right? Casting agents probably know the same people and are casting the shows. Uh, the episode with um, Haywood Nelson, who plays Randy Judd, a player who dies suddenly on the basketball court, and it, Reeves is thrown into guilt. Get, that always gets me a little bit, Earl, that, that episode. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's hard to really see Haywood Nelson as anything other than Dwayne going, hey, 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 hey. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that was, a, you know, I, I teared up at the end of that episode uh, just because, you know, uh, kids in high school, at least when I went to high school, uh, were bullies. You know, it was, you know, nowadays you get bullying and it's online. So, you know, anyone can be you know, a tough guy or, or, or a tough girl, you know, by just on your keyboard and make fun of someone's nose or whatever. But, uh, but back when I went to high school, like they did it to your face, <laughs> you know? So it was a lot, you know, I was bullied a little bit just cause I, I was my size forever. And, and so those episodes of the white shadow, like where there was kind of, they approached the subject of bullying and, you know, making fun of the autistic kid, you know, I, I really uh, uh, felt an, uh, an attachment to those because I went through it a little bit in grade school, especially in grade school, just because I was, you know, in eighth grade, I was the size of a full adult. And, uh, you know, it wasn't I didn't have the best grade school. Uh, one of my favorite episodes, for, again, from season one is the season one finale. It's called Le Grand Finale. Uh, Karen Legrand. uh plays it as is the main character in it and it's cool because that's the end of the season so it, it offers us a couple of different things you know uh the team is breaking up because they're they're done playing basketball and they decided okay let's we're going to be a singing group so that's the first uh instance we see of um the shower of power later in season three it becomes and then it's the banquet where Coach Reeves, you know, takes him out to dinner, and we see he's really fallen in love with this group. He's really invested in this group because he gets them the Carver jackets, you know. And Thorpe misses the team dinner because he's going out with this girl, and the team kind of ostracizes him uh, until the end of the episode. Oh yeah, I mean it, it's uh, I've been in many instances of you know I played a little bit of sports and. Uh, high school and there was always like the guy who would miss the meeting or the dinner and, and the ribbing that we would give them was, was pretty rough. And, uh, so, uh, you know, it's like a coming of age show that really was just so far ahead of its time, uh, especially dealing with high school kids. I, I mean, I can't really, I mean, the next generation got Beverly Hills 90210, but you know, that was more, uh, almost a uh a mocking of high school uh, life yeah uh, where, uh, where joan pringle played a college counselor she got a little uh part in that really was not a 210 um what are the other great ones well there's there's the one uh episode i think it's season two where 
it deals with VD, right? Now, yeah. I remember the I, I was a real young kid when I first saw the show, and I just like I remember liking it because it was basketball, but I didn't get most of what was going on in the show, in particular in this episode, because and I didn't realize till I was older and went and rewatched them. They set it up because in the episode before, so we've already seen in the episode you mentioned with Peter Horton, um, just one of the guys, Reeves teaches home ec, right? And that's how that's Peter Horton comes in. He talks about liking to bake. And then uh, this is later in season two. Um, this, the episode before the, the VD episode, he says, hey, I forget what happens. It might have been one of those where they fly, either go to Vegas or get off the train, the plane from San, San Jose. And, and Joan Pringle, a civil Buchanan, tells, hey, you owe me one. And Ken Reeves says, oh, you need me to teach the home ec class again? And she says, no, I need you to teach sex ed. So he's <laughs> teaching sex ed. He's talking about this, that, and the other. And, of course, you know, uh, Kevin Hooks as Thorpe, he's raising his hand, asking all these questions. And then we find out that he's potentially either gotten or given – I forget exactly what happened. He's either gotten or given VD to cool with his girlfriend, which kind of sets the premise for, for the episode. Yeah, I mean, you just didn't get uh, subjects like that on TV dealing with youth. I mean, I know uh, in the 70s, like the mid-70s, you had like the uh, after-school specials, but uh, they almost took on a, a 90210 type of uh, really uh, buffoonish portrayal of high school and grade school life. Uh, but I think The White Shadow was really the first one to take a serious look at, you know, VD, uh, you know, illiteracy, uh, uh, homosexuality, uh, you know, racism, uh, you know, uh, even uh, when Reese was go, uh, offered to go to another high school because they had a better program. Uh, yeah. And stuff, you know, just like, but it was a serious, it was almost a drama with a little bit of humor, uh, yeah. you know, versus like 90210 was uh, a comedy with very few uh, bits of drama infused in it. So, yeah. What, you know, it's, and, and listen, it was, it was the time it was in, it was the seventies and eighties. And, you know, basically it was, here's this ex athlete goes to this inner city school and he kind of helps solve all his problems. That's kind of the, the tidy premise. But as you get a little bit deeper into it, you realize that he needed the help of the play like the community right he really needed the help of the players and you brought up that their real problems dealt with it so there are two episodes i remember with regard to drug addiction um the one was uh with the angel dust being sold on campus phil and they had the, the yeah phil yeah well yeah so uh they go to a party and the manager gets his somebody put something in his drink and he goes a little crazy and ends up in the locker room sleeping in the shower and Reeves finds him there, and we find out that somebody's tagged his drink with angel dust. And then later in the episode, he's got to climb up on the roof for a, a girl is is high because she's bought some you know something uh, P, something do, uh, dosed with PCP, and she ends up jumping off the roof even though Reeves goes up there to to, to help her out. And that's an episode that it, they play it really well because they started off with uh, a police officer comes and kind of explains to the to the staff, hey, this is what you look for. And Ken Reeves is <laughs> trying to ask her out and, and takes her out for a, on, on a date and is kind of learning more about what's going on. Um, the other episode, obviously, which is also, I think, season two, is Needle, where uh, where uh, Thomas Carter's character, James Hayward, his cousin takes a hot dose and he goes looking for the guy who dealt him the drugs and, of course, stumbles into uh, Goldstein. He's going to go – he's got a gun and he's going to go shoot the guy, but he runs into Goldstein – and Goldstein prevents him from being able to do so, and he's the guy who tells the team what's going on. Yeah, I mean, that was another thing. Uh, you know, I was pretty sheltered as a kid. You know, when you grow up in Bel Air, you, you know, you don't really have a lot of, at that time, it was, it was pretty much an all-white, outside of OJ and Kareem, that, you know, there were, I didn't really have a lot of exposure to uh, other races or minorities. Uh, so, like, just, you know, to see, like, Goldstein interacting, you know, here you have a Jewish guy interacting with, you know, Haywood, who's, you know, pretty a militant black character on the show. Uh, you know, I, I really uh, enjoyed those scenes because it, it was, you know, I, I wasn't exposed to that type of stuff in my life. So uh, I just think, I think the show really opened up my eyes to, uh, oh, there's a real world out there where, 
you know, you know, a Jewish kid and a black kid can be friends. Uh, and, uh, you know, or, and, you know, Goldstein was kind of, a, you know, the Jewish kid nobody really liked because he was such a mama's boy or grandma's boy, actually, in the show. Uh, you know, and I knew, you know, I was probably a mama's boy. I kind of identified with Goldstein the most <laughs> just because, uh, you know, I, I was always trying to fit in and, you know, like Goldstein and, uh, so it, it was just really, uh, I think I was growing up, I was a little younger than the cast, but I really identified with that show in, in so many levels. Yeah. And I th think that's the lasting effect of the show is that no matter where you were from, it just, it, you know, and, you know, growing up, it, you know, I grew up in New Jersey and you're playing, playing sports, playing on, on teams, you had those dynamics and the episode we're talking about with Goldstein, Little Orphan Abner, where he's like coach is trying to get him to kind of assert himself, you know, and then his, his grandfather has a heart attack and there are all these uh, these uh, uh, things that take place basically to, to, to teach him to stick up for himself a little bit. Guys taking advantage of him and, and trying to learn that maturity, that part of it. So like we talked about kind of the issues it dealt with in terms of, you know, the the episode with Peter Horton about, about the homosexuality, the episodes about drugs and, and, and VD and whatnot. But there was a whole, there was a number of episodes. I, I referenced the one about the gangs. Yeah, it was about the gangs, but also about um, the character, Ricky Gomez trying to assert his identity. And right. in that episode we talked about with Goldstein, he's trying to assert his identity because what happens is uh, in the, in, in this, this old gang of mine, Gomez has thrown off the team for bad grades but it's because he can't he doesn't feel connected to he's, he's given a reading assignment the book he wants to read they won't let him read you know and so he kind of lets it go and then gets bumped, booted off the team which obviously leads him into this this maelstrom of, of negative stuff and same thing with Goldstein in that he isn't quite sure where he fits in and he's willing to let other guys do whatever they want so he can fit in that that doesn't work either right if you can't fit in doesn't 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 work to let people just walk all over you yeah, I mean, and that's hard to do in high school, you know, it's like, uh, you know, kids can be, you know, especially back then, like I said, kids can be so mean and, and like, you know, if you're shy, you know, they seize on that weakness and make fun of you and, uh, you know, there were, you know, I went to, you know, Notre Dame was uh, probably the school for rich kids in the Valley, so, uh, you know, I saw minority students, you know, maybe being treated a little uh, not fairly. And, uh, you, you know, that was always what made me laugh is uh, at Notre Dame, there really weren't a lot of African-American students. Uh, you know, I always made the joke that, you know, they probably watched The White Shadow and thought, oh, wow, this school's full of minorities. Let's go there. And then they get there and it's like, you know, I think there were maybe five or six black students when I was there. Uh, so, uh, you know, but it was just a, a I saw a lot of mean spirited uh, interactions between students. So I, I really enjoyed the white shadow because it showed that side of, you know, high school life could be brutal. And uh, I, I, you know, I'm, I just wish the show got a little more love. You know, I know Bill Simmons is a big fan and, uh, you know, I know it seems like people are closeted fans of the show. Like, you know, uh, and, you know, I don't know if the show would work uh, today because, you know, now you have so many uh, wacky shows on the air that, you know, it's probably a pretty tame show to, you know, see a show like Sons of Anarchy and, you know, Ozark and uh, there's a lot of crazy shows on TV that would make a high school player coming out of the closet be uh, boring, I guess. Right, right. Yeah, I mean... It, it, yeah, in a way, it was ahead of its time. You know, they've, they've talked about doing reboots of it um, a couple of different times. I know Michael Rappaport was supposedly attached to a reboot of it, and they were talking about doing the inverse. You know, you have like, you know, uh, uh, I, mean, I don't know if it was, I, I, might have been Ice Cube was attached. Ice Cube plays an ex-NBA guy who's going to go coach at an all, like a prep school, you know, who's going to coach all these preps who are not really that good at basketball, but he's trying to teach them about life. Um so I do think if they bought it back today, it would be different, but they could do a lot of the same with regard to the, the talking about the camaraderie of the team and the, 
you know, somebody coming in and trying to manage the lives of these these kids. I mean, the kids' lives would be all over the place. I mean, I think the, the adult characters would be pretty similar, but it'd be with regard to the kids, that would be where you'd kind of have the tapestry wide open. I mean, you, you could do a, a similar episode of the Peter Horton one, but maybe this time the students transgender, something of that nature. But I, I just... I think the show has such a charm that if you look at any remake, uh, you know, take the Bad News Bears. Uh, I think that's the perfect example of the original Bad News Bears. None of those kids were actors. They were literally just kids uh, acting <laughs> like kids. Uh, in the remake with Billy Bob Thornton, it was clear that all those kids were actors, child actors, and it just didn't have that charm. And uh, I just don't think a remake... I would watch it for sure, but I, even if you did a, a black coach in a white school or you just did a, a sim, an updated version of a, a white coach in a black school, I just don't think it would work. Uh, very few. How about that? Uh, so I'm going to pitch this to you, Earl, because you work with this guy. Okay, you know Eric Griffin, who you work with on um, We're Dying Up Here. I'm sure you know him from Comedy Store. Sure. He wants coach basketball in the city of L.A. He wants coached at Daniel Murphy High School. He was an assistant coach. I don't know if he was a head coach or assistant coach, but he wants coach basketball. So we get Griffin, and he gets hired to coach at a prep school, but he's got to coach girls basketball. That's the new white shadow. What do you think? Think that'll work? You know, I'm such a fan of the original show. No, I don't think it would work. I, I'm not saying it would. I'd be a horrible TV executive because – if you were to pitch me a show like Big Brother or Survivor, uh, where you say, hey, Earl, we got this show. It's going to be 20 unknown people. They're going to do these wacky stunts on an island. Uh, I really like, that's not going to last one season. And yeah. I think Survivor's on literally its 40th season. So um, I just, I'm such a fan of the original. You know, like The Longest Yard. Like, I love Adam Sandler. But to me, like, if you look at the original Longest Yard, uh, you know, just the actors looked the part, you know, uh, but you go to the remake and, you know, it's just a bunch of WWF wrestlers, uh, you know, Steve Austin, Kevin Nash, and uh, the great Kali, uh, you know, who's the big Indian, uh, the, the gigantic Indian, he's not big. Uh, it just, it didn't have that charm. And I think... Uh, it's, you know, getting back to the White Shadow remake, it, you know, there's so many wacky shows on right now that, you know, cover, you know, The Wire. Uh, the Wire was kind of had that charm of The White Shadow, you know, in terms of the grittiness. Uh, but I just, I don't know. I, I just hate remakes, you know. I know Howard Stern was talking about remaking Porky's, uh, and it's just like, you know, Porky's had that white shadow kind of, you know, none of those kids, I think, were actors. Uh, you know, they're all in their 30s, my high school students, but it had a charm about it, uh, at least the first one. Uh, and I, I just think, uh, you know, even the Star Wars films, like those first three, were they just had a, especially the first one, which was the fourth one in reality, and Lucas was on the good cocaine back then, uh, it just had a charm. Uh, and then, you know, you get to the Jar Jar Banks and all the wacky, uh, you know, CGI. And it just, for me, lost something. It's like, you know, the, the old joke about gambling and dating, right? It's like you, you're best at it before you think you know what, what you're doing, right? The, the best experiences are when you just kind of stumble into it a little bit. And that, that reminds me of a little, a little bit of these shows where – you just kind of get together and do something creative without thinking too much about it. And it's it's all real simple. And Bruce Paltrow basically based it on his own experience growing up in, in New York, kind of with playing with a, with a, you know, and this is would have been more radical because it was 20 years out in the late 50s, early 60s. And Ken Howard resembled it too, kind of playing, you know, Ken Howard supposedly was the only white guy on his high school basketball team, right? So that's kind of where this experience springs from. Uh, I do want to. We mentioned you mentioned uh, uh, Timothy Van Patten as Salami, and he had a couple of classic episodes. Um, there's of course the one where he has an affair with his history teacher who's tutoring him, and then and the other one I love is the um, is the one where 
he, he gets hurt and coach Reeves sends him to his doctor and he gets amphetamines, you know, and, and a lot of talking about, uh, you know, in sports talk about performance enhancing drugs and whatnot. That was an interesting episode. Then I'm having to forfeit two games for the use of amphetamines. Cause he starts handing them out. And that's another episode where they kind of talk about drugs on campus. But I thought Tim, Timothy Van Patten had some great showcase episodes over the course of that show. Oh yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, my favorite uh, episode of his was the Lynx episode. It's just again, so many you know, <laughs> great lines in the newspaper and goes, "Hey, I didn't know there was murders in golf." And I, I think Coolidge was like, "What are you talking about?" He's like, "Well, it says here Nicholas shot 64." It's <laughs> just so stupid. Uh, and uh, when they're at the uh, the lunch, the the dining room toward the end of the episode, and uh, someone orders the roast beef au jus, and he says, "Hey, is that what Goldstein gets?" It was just like, so <laughs> yeah, is that the way Goldstein eats it? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. yeah. He explained yeah. the best. Uh, you know, he plays Stallone out. You know, he plays. You know, Rocky is just like this. Obviously, Stallone in real life is incredibly smart, and but you know that. Rocky character was just like this brain dead, almost down on his luck boxer. And, and he played that role perfectly. And, and Rambo, especially the first one where it's just this kind of guy's lost his mind in Vietnam. And, and, and Salami had that same, like I knew a lot of guys like Salami, just the dopey Italian guy who was good with women and, you know, wasn't the brightest guy in the world. And, and, and that's, you know, another reason why I love his character so much is because I knew people like that. It's like the Tony Danza role, but he doesn't look like Tony Danza. You know, he's kind of a blonde, you know, blonde haired Italian guy. Uh, Salami, Mario Petrino. You were telling me that you, did you once uh, audition with Robert Costanza who played his, who plays his dad or was it some, was it something I else? Did. It was, no, it was, uh, uh, I had an audition. It was uh, football. I think it was like a Doritos commercial where, with, and believe me, this wasn't Taxi Driver. We're just playing. I think we were uh, Steeler fans, and uh, I my scene or my audition was with him. And as we're walking out, I'm like, "Hey, it's an honor to meet you, Mr. Petrino." And he kind of looked at me like, "My name's Costanza." I'm like, "No, you're Salami's dad to me." And uh, you know, he kind of laughed, and uh, and then. Uh, I remember the episode where uh, 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 Salami boxes uh, and uh, his dad had that uh, Hispanic friend with him. Uh, I had an audition with that guy. Uh, I forget his name. I hate to say that guy. Uh, yeah. But he's like a little, he almost looks Cuban. Uh, like a, almost looks a little bit like Tony Plana. He's a, another character actor, and uh, I'm like, "Hey, you're Salami's dad's friend," and he kind of looks at me in the audition room. I'm like, "The White Shadow," and he, he's like, "Oh yeah, that's a long time ago, dude." <laughs> you know, it's like that happened last year. He's like, "Dude, that's 40 years ago." I've done a lot since. <laughs> yeah. Oh so, yeah. I mean, it's great to see these guys around town. Um, you know, I mentioned James Victor who passed away a couple years ago. He'd been on a number of things. The White Shadow was pretty prominent on, on his bio as well. Um, uh, uh, you know, Curtis Jackson was the guy, you know, you were joking about Beverly Hills 90210 earlier. Um, you know, Jenny Gard's character, Kelly Taylor, like what didn't happen to her, right? She was bulimic. Right. She was addicted to drugs. She was shot. She was raped. She was in a cult. So that was like Curtis Jackson, you know. He was an alcoholic. He dated a prostitute. He was a point shaver. He was a gambler. And then, you know, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. In the when they finally when they win when they're going to play in the city championship, he gets shot and killed in a in a in a, in a um, liquor store robbery. And so that, that was the other thing about the show in, in the sense that here's a main character who's been with the show from day one, and in the sweep week of of the second season of the show, they kill him off the show. And that was that was a, a tearjerker episode as well. Yeah, I mean, there really weren't uh, many uh, TV shows at that time, and really almost since then, uh, that would kill off a major character so early uh, in the in the arc of the story. Like, uh, you know, I, I really one of the few other uh, shows, I think it was, my, I hate to bring up Miami Vice again, but uh, when 
In season three, midway through, they killed off Zito. Uh, right. Now, he wanted to leave the show. I don't, I don't think Jackson wanted to leave the show, but uh, but it really made... Uh, that's what was so great about the White Shadows. Like, they would do something like that, but they wouldn't overdo it. Uh, you know, like... You know, I'm a fan of the show 24, uh, but they would kill off a lot of characters on that show. So after, like, maybe season two, it, I don't know, you just almost expected it to happen. Uh, and it, it wouldn't mean that much. Whereas, you know, when Jackson died, I cried. I was like, oh, man, he was one of my favorite guys because he wore the beat, not the beanie, but that weird, almost mush mouth type of hat. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was, I, I mean, before that, I can't recall one show that killed off a major character that early. Uh, right. Yeah. So, you know, I cried. Well, I just, it came out of nowhere, right? It's like with, um, yeah, I remember the, the one you always talk about is MASH, right? They kill off uh, McLean Stevens and they killed off Henry Blake. But the thing about that show was he was already leaving, right? So right. he wasn't coming back. He was either going to go home and then they, they, they said that he was killed. Whereas with Jackson, they're, they're, they're ready to play in the championship game and, they they kill him off the show right before the championship game. They couldn't even wait till afterwards. You know, it's the after party of the game they win to get to the championship, and, and they're having the party at Phil's house. You know, the manager again, Phil Jeffers, um, and uh, the tragedy happens then because they go to send him to buy the the wine. You know, from the liquor store. Um, uh, we mentioned Goldstein. Oh, Coolidge. How about I mean, Brian Stewart? Uh, Coolidge is the best player on the team. Uh, we learned that early on. Obviously, he's tall. Uh, there's the episode where he's uh, um, the agent comes after him. Walter Preston comes after him, and that's <laughs> that's a great episode uh, as well. I think the the line about that is so he's got the he has the big game, and he's walking to school with Thorpe and um, uh, Hayward, and they're telling him, "Oh, what a great game you had." He's like, "You know what happened to me this morning? My dad came into the shower and shook my hand." And they said, "Big deal. So what?" He goes, my dad hadn't been home in two years, you know, another one of those, another one of those great lines from the white shadow. I mean, my, one of my favorite episodes is the Harlem Globetrotters episode, uh, just because, uh, you know, every, that was kind of an ensemble episode where everyone got their lines in, but just like when they're in the car wash and, uh, you know, they're leaving and Salam goes, hey, he missed a scratch. And the guy, <laughs> I think it's perfectly feeling like, that's not a scratch, that's a hole. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, in Coolidge, right before they uh, tip off the game, he's tying his shoe. And uh, he, he looks up at the guy and he's like, oh, this guy's as big as I am. And, uh, you know, that was a sillier episode, but... Uh, you know, they, they had enough silly episodes to break the heavy ones. Uh, but uh, I try and tell people about the show. And, it, you know, it's like you said, it, it, I used to direct them to Hulu. And, uh, you know, because no one buys DVDs anymore. So I don't think anyone's going to. I mean, who the hell has a DVD player anymore? Right, uh, right. So I do hope, uh, you know, I, I would think during this pandemic specifically that. Netflix or Amazon Prime seems to, uh, I mean, right now I'm watching an old Fox show from 2001 called Fastline on, uh, it's like a kind of a Miami Vice ripoff for one season, but it's like if Fastlane's on Amazon Prime, there's no excuse not to have the white shadow. Well, I mean, the other thing is Bill Simmons being a fan of the show, it's like, Bill, tell your cousin HBO, put it on, do something, you know, uh, get it on so we can at least uh, stream it on demand. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, and, and I did I did watch it when it was on Hulu, but they didn't have all the episodes on Hulu because of the music issues that they had. Yeah, I, mean, I would think maybe HBO Go, uh, you know, which they seem to put a lot of uh, offbeat shows on that. Um, you know, I mean, I, I think Amazon Prime, uh, Hulu, I, I don't know why they got rid of it. Uh, but, you know, I, I get it. Like, I think young kids today are, you know, used to, like, the Fast and the Furious uh, crap. So, uh, you know, I'm sure if you sat down a 15-year-old or, uh, you know, maybe a 14 to 20-year-old age range group of kids and said, all right, here's the white shadow, they'd be like, where's the explosions? Yeah. Where well, Wardell Stone, they got the, the Wardell Stone episode where he saves the woman from the car, they have an explosion. 
Right, and he, uh, you know, he's another uh, guy who went on to a pretty good career. Of course, he's probably most known for being uh, the co-pilot in the uh, car stealing scene in uh, Ferris Bueller's. But uh, uh, you know, it, it, it's really just it bums me out that a show like that, which was so well acted, so well written, directed, produced, and Mark Tinker, who I actually worked with. Uh, I'm not trying to make this about myself, but I was uh, in the Babe Ruth TV movie uh, with uh, Stephen Lang as uh, Babe Ruth. Oh, uh, okay. And Mark Tinker uh, directed that, and uh, I talked to him for a little bit. You know, he's pretty busy because that, that was his uh, deal. Uh, but it, he spoke to me a little bit about the White Shadow, so it's kind of, you know, I played one of the 27 Yankees, which I had no baseball experience but in the audition, I lied and said I played uh, high school ball at Notre Dame, and we were number one in the nation, which they were. I was not on the team. And uh, I ended up getting the gig, and every other person on the, the team or on the, uh, t- on the show was uh, ex-baseball players. Like, so uh, I, I remember playing catch with the Peshork brothers, whose brother Tom played, uh, I think, for the White Sox and a few other teams. And my, I thought my hand broke when they would throw me the ball because they were so uh, on such a higher level than I was. So, uh, but, you know, there's a little bit of white shadow tie into that show. Which, uh, which 27 Yankee did you play? Um, the right fielder. <laughs> Bob Musil. Bob Musil. Yeah, they, they really didn't. You're good, man. I, <laughs> I thought I was like a rain man of useless trivia. Uh, um, you know, obviously the story was based, you know, the primary characters were, you know, uh, you know, Stephen Lang is Babe Ruth and uh, Bruce Weiss from Hill Street Blues was the uh, manager and uh, a great cast. Uh, and uh, Neil McDonough, who's, uh, uh, he played Roger Maris. Uh, he's, he's one of those guys you see, I don't know his name, but he's probably been in 200 things. Uh, but it was just, uh, and I was a big uh, crime story fan, which is another, it's almost a white shadow type show from the standpoint of it was just, it was only two seasons and uh, it was just too expensive to make. Uh, but Stephen Lang was uh, in that. So uh, I had a lot of fun on that uh, movie, but I, I certainly, uh, I wasn't, uh, I think I was about 300 in the credits. I remember seeing Stephen Lang. The, the thing I remember him from was he did a version of Death of a Salesman with, with uh, Dustin Hoffman and John Malkovich, you know. And obviously all the attention is on Dustin Hoffman and John Malkovich and Charles Durning's in that production as well. But Stephen Lang holds his own. I thought he did a fantastic job. He plays happy in that one and does, does a great job. He's a pretty kind of underrated you – know, he's one of those guys where whenever he's in something, he's really, really good in it. But he's generally not the marquee guy. So it was, it was interesting for him to get – the marquee role in that Babe Ruth movie. Yeah, I mean, he and I just remember uh, they made him look a lot. I thought he looked a lot more like Babe Ruth than John Goodman did. Because uh, I think there was a race, uh, you know, I think it was 1988 this was, uh, for the TV movie to beat the, uh, the John Goodman movie, which was coming out in theaters. Uh, it was kind of like... Uh, I know you'll know this, but in 1989, there was like three movies that were racing to beat each other in theaters, uh, D-Star 6, Leviathan, and The Abyss, and they were all basically uh, similar storylines of uh, underwater monsters, and uh, I think Peter Weller was in Leviathan, and then, uh, you know, I forget who were in the others, but uh, it's very similar in the Babe Ruth. TV movie at NBC it was like, we got to get this out before the John Goodman one. So it was a little rushed, but uh, still I had a lot of fun, even though I was pretty insignificant on it. I, I vaguely remember there were two uh, Steve Prefontaine movies. Billy right. Crudup was in one, and then Jarrett Leto was in the famous one. They were all trying to get them out at the same time. It's weird how that happens, how they're all together. But I, because, you know, obviously with the pandemic, there's no baseball. So Turner Turner Classic Movies ran the old Babe Ruth movie with William Bendix in it, um, which was interesting. How they filmed like all the baseball scenes were filmed. You could tell they were filmed on a soundstage. Really interesting that he that he played Babe Ruth. And obviously, yeah, I'm familiar with the John Goodman one as well. I think 
I, I must have seen the, the Stephen Lang one because I remember it from what you tell, told me from, from you saying I remember that movie actually. Uh, Stephen Lang. I, I mean, yeah, it was like a movie of the week type. I think it was on a Sunday night, uh, so it didn't uh, probably get the love because most of the attention was the John Goodman one. Even when our movie was out, it was like we can't wait to see John Goodman play Babe Ruth. But it's like no, Stephen Lang did a better job. Uh, uh, but you mentioned Charles Durning, and he's in my favorite sports movie of all time, uh, North Dallas 40. Uh, oh, of course. So, uh, because, you know, you, you go back to, like, you know, I think some of the best movies are with people who aren't necessarily actors. And, you know, John Matuzak uh, had zero acting uh, experience. And, like, that scene, it's one of my favorite movie scenes when he's at the end of the game and they lost and Charles Durning goes in there and saying something to the effect of you guys didn't want it enough. And John Matusak had about a three minute monologue. I, I'm assuming he improved it. I, he, he doesn't seem like a type that would follow the script. Rest in peace. Uh, and it's just a great, you know, it's a business. You call it a business. I call it a game. When you call it a game, I call it a business. And I, I won't, you know, the rest is pretty uh, bad language, but, uh, you know, Charles Durning played a great um, wingman to G.D. Spradlin, who was essentially doing a Tom Landry impression. 